Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. The series is titled, A Wretch Like Me. It's the story of the conversion of Saul, <clears throat> who became the Apostle Paul. Last week we had our first message. This is message number two. And the title of the message is, The Way. <clears throat> the Way. Our text is going to be Acts chapter 9. We'll look at verses 1 through 9 today. If you are following along on uh, your smartphone or if you <clears throat> have a tablet device or a smartphone and you want to uh, download the app to follow along in the message, I think uh, <clears throat> you go to an app called YouVersion and uh, can do that. I hope that you've already downloaded that. <clears throat> John Wesley, the great John Wesley, told of a dream that he once had. In the dream, he was ushered to the gates of hell. And there he asked, <clears throat> are there any Presbyterians here? Yes, was the reply. Then he asked, are there any Baptists, any Episcopalians, or any Methodists? <clears throat> and yes, was the answer each time as he called out in his dream at the gates of hell. He was so distressed, but then in his dream he was ushered <clears throat> to the gates of heaven, and there he asked the same question. Are there any Presbyterians here, <clears throat> any Baptists, any Episcopalians, <clears throat> any Methodists? And each time the answer was no. And even more distressed, he said, then please, who is inside of heaven? The answer came, there are only Christians here. I said that to say this. There were no denominations in the early church. Now, I'm a Baptist. I don't apologize for being a Baptist. I <clears throat> heard someone say one day that they were Baptist born and Baptist bred, and when they're dead, they'll be Baptist dead. So I'm a <clears throat> Baptist. But there were no denominations in the early church. There were divisions as some of the believers who were converted from Judaism wanted to impose on Gentile believers certain matters of the law <clears throat> of Moses. Much of the New Testament is devoted to correcting those issues that <clears throat> the early believers had. However, there were no denominations, none. The idea of denominational lines were established in the early 1500s. <clears throat> there were certainly cults and heresies prior to this, but Christian denominations began with the Protestant Reformation. Now, <clears throat> Baptist historians will remind us that Anabaptists, from which the Baptist denomination came, was never a part of the Reformation. However, <clears throat> it did begin coincidentally at about the same time of the Reformation. That's just a point of, of history. In the first century, the church was not called this church or that church or such and such Presbyterian or Baptist or whatever <clears throat> it may be. The church was referred to as the way. 
They were called people of the way. This meant that they, their way of life was much different than the rest of society. They were people of the way, and when you looked at them and you observed their lives, they weren't like other people. People of the way had a distinct difference. In time, and to a certain degree of regret, the idea of having a distinct difference between the way of the world and the lives and the, <clears throat> the way of a believer, well, it's faded. Now you seem like some sort of a radical if you <clears throat> preach and teach that people who follow Jesus ought to have a distinct way from the people of the world. <clears throat> but in the early church, it was very clear that there was a difference between people of the way and people <clears throat> who weren't of the way. There was a time when the way was so distinctive <clears throat> that it seemed like a threat to everybody else who were not followers of the way. <clears throat> no one was a greater enemy of the way or Christianity than this man, Saul of Tarsus, who we began to study last week. <clears throat> In today's text, he goes from being a persecutor of the way to one who's actually going to walk in the way. Let's see our text in Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked from him, him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus that, he, that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. In the book of John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus clearly states that there is no way to the Father except through him. Now he didn't say this as a Baptist. He didn't say this as a Methodist. He didn't say it as a Catholic. He didn't say it as a Protestant. Jesus said it as Jesus our Lord and Savior, when he made this statement in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I jump to that verse because that's going to be our outline for the message today as we see Saul persecuting the people of the way. The outline is the way, the truth, and the life. 
Let's begin with the way. Again, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. ABC Television, I don't know whether they still have this program on or not, but at one point they had a program on, and the, the title of it was, What Would You Do? And I would tell you who it's hosted by, but I can't pronounce his last name. But um, in this series, actors played out scenes of conflict or illegal activity in a public setting. And there were cameras that were hidden from view as they videotaped the scene. And the focus is on whether or not bystanders, bystanders would intervene <clears throat> in something that was unjust or something that was being done illegally. And often they would put a variation on it. They would uh, <clears throat> change the gender of the victim or the races or the clothing of the actors that were performing the scene and to see if the bystanders would react differently if it was a woman instead of a man or if it was a white person instead of a black person or if it was someone who was dressed well instead of poorly or poorly instead of well. Then the host appears at the end of the interview and he asks the bystanders about their reaction. Why did you do as you did? Many of the people on this show choose not to be involved in something that could cause them to be inconvenienced or <clears throat> possibly could do them harm. Since human nature has always been the same, and it has been, since human nature has always been the same up until now, I'm sure that there were many who would not become part of the way because they didn't want to get involved in something that was controversial. They didn't want to get involved in something that might cause them discomfort and certainly didn't want to be persecuted by a man named Saul, who the Bible says was breathing out <clears throat> threatenings and, and murder. So let's just start with Saul. He was an enemy of the way, breathing out threats and murder. He inhaled threats and he exhaled murder. The psalmist said that his enemies breathed out violence. I want to tell you, it's a pretty bad person when it seems like that they inhale threats and exhale murder, when it seems like that they're just always, always violent. This is the level of hatred for the Christian way that ISIS is showing to the world. There's not a person in this room who's not familiar with what's going on with this, this horrible, radical, murderous group. And this group has targeted primarily Christianity and Jews. And I would think that they primarily targeted Christianity because of Christianity's relationship to the Jews. And they've targeted them. And I don't think that anyone <clears throat> could even possibly think that these are normally nice guys, anybody who would behead people publicly, <clears throat> would behead children, would kill children. Now this is all over the news. It is well documented. 
it is played out on YouTube for all the world to see. I will tell you, I have not looked at it. I can't see that image. I can't, I can't put that image in my mind or heart. I just can't. <clears throat> but there's, there's millions of people around the world who have seen that image. I, I say that because you should know <clears throat> that this is exactly the kind of person that Saul was. Saul wasn't a misguided soul. Saul wasn't a guy that had made a mistake or two. The Bible says that he breathed out <clears throat> threatenings and murders. I will submit to you that Saul was just as wicked or even more so than those you have seen with, those, uh, with, with the innocent people in orange jumpsuits on their knees in front of them. <clears throat> this is who Saul was. Some of you may be facing an enemy of Christianity in your own life. I hope that you're not. I doubt very seriously, in fact, I know you're not facing anyone like ISIS or anyone like Saul, <clears throat> but you may be in a work environment that is hostile to your faith. Maybe your husband or wife <clears throat> is on the other side of your spiritual stand. Maybe they are so opposed to you that happens often. And even though the ones who stand opposed to your faith do not have the same level of hatred and cruelty as, as Saul and the enemies of Christianity in other parts of the world, <clears throat> it's very real to you. And understandably so, if you feel like you are suffering for your faith to any degree, it's very <clears throat> real to you. And I do not uh, in any way belittle <clears throat> the suffering that you may feel that you're going through why am I suffering this way why did the people in Saul's day suffer as they did why are people in in uh, the the eastern part the Middle Eastern part of the world suffering as they are suffering from Isis well it's for one reason only because you or they are or were people of the way. Saul's vendetta against anybody was one group only, and that is people of the way, followers of Jesus Christ. He had no campaign against the Pharisees. He had no campaign against hypocrites. He had no campaign against thieves. He had no campaign against murderers. He had a campaign against one group only, and those people were believers. They were people of the way. On Wednesday night, we're studying in the book of 1 Peter. I hope you'll come to our Wednesday night Bible studies. We are from about 7.05 to 7.45, purely a Bible study on Wednesday night. <clears throat> we're studying the book of 1 Peter. Simon Peter writes to the believers in the Northern Roman Empire to encourage and to comfort them during times of, of persecution and the fact that they are still under threat of persecution to come. They were living during the time of Nero who brutally murdered Christians for no reason other than that they were followers of Jesus Christ. I, I wish that I could stand before you today and tell you that 
that history really doesn't confirm any of that, but history confirms all of that. <clears throat> Just as YouTube videos are confirming what's going on today, history confirms that Christianity has always had its enemies and mainly just for the sake of the fact that they're Christians, <clears throat> followers of Jesus. History is colored red by the blood of martyrs who shed blood for their faith. And when I think of this and consider how fragile we are, how fragile we are in the body of, of Christ, it embarrasses me a little bit. The, these people died for their faith. People like us have a hard time adjusting to music that seems too loud. People died for their faith because they were of the way. But we have a hard time with the music being too loud. We have a hard time with the temperature or the services being too early or the sermons being too long. Surely none of you have a problem with long sermons, but <clears throat> some people have trouble with long sermons. And I said all of that to say this, <clears throat> that while the world, literally the world is suffering for their faith, we don't want to be inconvenienced for ours. We want church like Burger King where we can have it our way. We want it to be unique to us. Church was good today. I liked everything about it. You ever gone home from church and said, boy, that was a good service, wasn't it? Yeah, but so-and-so, somebody might say. <clears throat> but this or but that. Why would we do that? Why would we do that when in other parts of the world people are suffering for their faith? We had a a missionary here one time who had just a piece of, of one hand and had scars all over her body, whose car had been bombed and her husband and everyone else in the car had been killed in Mosul, Iraq. And it was simply because they were targeted as Christian missionaries. Her name's Carrie McDonald. And she stood right where I'm standing. Yet will go away from church and we'll feel like that we were a little inconvenienced in this or a little inconvenienced from that. We should learn something from people of the way. As Paul wrote to Timothy, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 2, 3. Whenever people of the way in other parts of the world are suffering, we must suffer too, or we should suffer too, or we at least should have some sort of an understanding that, that we are serving God in freedom and in ease while others are dying for their faith. We see the enemy of the way was Saul, and he targeted people of the way for persecution of the way. He made it his calling to go to the high priest of Israel to seek permission to bring men and women to Jerusalem for trial and torture. And as we saw last week with Stephen, stoning to their deaths. What a miserable man. What a miserable, miserable man. Now I'm just going to tell you right now, <clears throat> had I known Saul back in the day, I wouldn't have liked him. He was a miserable human being. 
at odds with people who are simply following a path, a way of life established by Jesus Christ. Saul was an enemy of the way. As bad as you can imagine, as rough as you could think about, just as bad as that that, uh, British guy with the black robe and the black hood who stands behind the guy in orange and he has a, a knife in his hand and one was, was identified by the fact that, that of his voice recognition and the fact that he was left-handed, just like him, this is who Saul was, just exactly who he was. Remember, he stood and watched them stoning Stephen. He stood there, and in fact, the Bible said he was consenting to Stephen's death. I can see him giving some sort of a wave on to them to continue what you're doing. Go ahead. He could have said, stop, but he said, go ahead. This is who he was. But guess what? He was confronted with the truth. The truth is a powerful thing. Arthur and Linda Becton have moved to Orlando, Florida. They are two of the finest Christians that we've ever had in this church. Arthur is now retired from his career as a chaplain at the Federal Corrections Institute on Capitol Circle. And Arthur used to give me the opportunity, he often gave me the opportunity of coming and speaking to those, it's a women's prison, speaking to those in that prison and can bringing the gospel to them and confronting them with their way, confronting them with the the truth. And I did have the privilege of speaking there several times and and great experiences. Some of the finest Christians I've ever met, I met inside of those prison walls out there. I'll tell you that right now. Right there, some fine Christian people are right there. And I remember one time I spoke and and there was a, a very large woman. And when I say she was large, I mean she was very, very tall. I, I don't know how tall she was. She's much taller than me. And she was just a physical presence. And when they were singing, she was in the very middle of the, <clears throat> of the, uh, the crowd, the congregation. And uh, she didn't have a good look on her face at all. And we had the singing and the program and, and so on. And, and uh, I gave the invitation. And when I give the invitation there, it's, it's much different than it is in, in church here. Uh, in church, uh, you know, we don't want to admit that we're sinners. We dressed up and put on our Christian clothes this morning because we don't want to admit that we're sinners. The great thing about preaching in prison is that they wear their sin on their shirts and it's got a number. I told them that one time. I said, I love preaching to you because you're all sinners. You wear it right there on your shirt in a number. You've got your sin numbered. And they said, that's right. And they do. They have their sin numbered. But I was preaching and this very large woman, when I gave the invitation, I asked them to come and stand down front. Now, I want to tell you something, folks. In prison, you ask them to come and stand down front because they're about to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. That's a big, big deal. And I looked, and here came that that woman. 
And she stood right in front of me and she prayed to receive Jesus Christ as her Savior. And <clears throat> it was a, a moving moment. I went back and preached later and she came to me and she said, do you remember me? And I thought, do I remember you? <clears throat> and she said, I want to tell you something about your last visit here. And I said, okay. She said, I'm Jewish. And she said, I came because one of my friends was going to be in the program and I wanted her to save me a seat near the door so I could leave. But she double-crossed me. That was her word. She double-crossed me and she put me right in the middle where I couldn't get out. <clears throat> Although had I been sitting next to that woman and she said, let me out, I'd have let her out. <clears throat> she said, I was double-crossed and she said, I want to tell you something. The whole time you were preaching, I wanted to stand up and say, you're lying. You're not telling the truth. She said, I couldn't. And when you gave the invitation, for some reason, I found myself standing down front. And she said, I'm a Jew, but I asked Jesus to be my Savior. <clears throat> then she looked at me and she said, now I'm an usher. I was so happy for her. I want to tell you something, friends. When you face off with Jesus, something happens to you. You either get right or get away. Saul faced off with Jesus in verse 3. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone round about him. He experienced the presence of Jesus. Have you ever had an unexpected encounter with the Lord? Have you ever experienced the presence of Jesus in your life? If God has ever shown up in your life, I want to say this, and, and this is something that you kind of sung to, Marie. If God has ever shown up in your life, there's not much doubt about it. You know that God has shown up in your life. We know that God is ever present with us, but there are times when God makes his presence known. There are times when God says, I want you to know that I'm here. I've had that experience. It is a shocking, humbling, moving, life-changing experience. If you have ever had an encounter with Christ or known the presence of God so real that it cannot be denied, you know what I mean, and to some measure, your life has been changed. Saul had the surprising experience of seeing Jesus manifest in his life. And the encounter with Jesus, this same man, picture the, the guy in the black robe with, with the orange, uh, guy in the orange jump, jumpsuit in front of you, picture him, this same man who was of that ilk, who was of that character, this same man after he saw Jesus, well, it left him a much different man than he could have ever imagined. That's what an encounter with Christ will do. It will change your life. Religion won't change your life. Turning over a new leaf won't change your life. Making a decision to do better won't change your life. There are a lot of things that you could change, but it won't change your life. But an encounter with Jesus Christ will change your life. And if you've never come to a place of conviction in your own heart that you're a sinner and in need of a Savior, you'll want to encounter 
Jesus Christ. And, and I want to tell you, I will give you that opportunity. Before you leave today, you'll have an opportunity to encounter Jesus Christ and to know him as your personal Savior and Lord. You will have that opportunity today. And I promise you, it will change your life. And not for the worse, but for the better, it will change your life. If I did not know for sure that my sins were forgiven and that I, I have Jesus Christ in my heart and life as personal Savior and Lord, the first thing that I would want to do is to have an encounter with Jesus. And so at the close of this message, I will give you that opportunity. And let me just say this, and I say this with a great deal of love and compassion. Some people have sat through these kinds of things at the close of a service time and time and time again and you have said within your own heart and life I know this is something that I need to take care of but there's somebody else that whispered in your heart and life wait till another time I want to tell you that today God has custom made this opportunity for you and I pray that you will not allow anything or anyone else to speak into your life other than God himself when he invites you. I'll be the mouthpiece. I'll be the preacher. But it's the Spirit of God who will invite your heart and will draw you to him. We see the presence of Jesus in the truth that Saul faced. We also hear the words of Jesus in verse 4, and falling to the ground, that is Saul, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, well, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You'll notice that the words, if you have the King James Version, you'll notice that the words kicking against the goads or kicking against the pricks is not there. Earlier manuscripts do not have those words in this place. But they do place him in the testimony of Paul in Acts 26 and verse 14. And when he had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice say to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. This encounter with Christ and the words of Jesus tell us that God is interested and he is involved in the lives of, of people. You may think that God has forgotten about you, but he hasn't. You may think, well, I'm so far gone, God doesn't even consider me. There's nothing that can be changed. I have lived far too long like this for God to make a change in my life. You should understand something that we shared a few weeks ago. Life is a vapor. You haven't lived any time. You say, but I'm in my 40s or 50s or 60s or 70s, and I've lived a long time. It's too late for me. You're just a vapor. Your life is, is just a wisp in the wind. In, in the economy and the eternity of God, you've lived no time. And now is the time for you to make this change in your life through Jesus Christ. He's working in your life and in the lives of others who are, will influence your life. Just as he worked in the life of Saul to end his persecution of the believers. Saul works in all of our lives. You know, Saul may be working, or, or God, excuse, God works in all of our lives. God may be working in your life today 
to prepare a Saul somewhere on this earth, and the reason that he is moving and making you as you are is because that person over there is going to benefit by the testimony that you're going to share or a stand you're going to make or something that's going to happen in your life. And you say, why did these happen to me? These things happen to me that there might be that encounter there. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Saul went to, from being an enemy to the way to being part of it because next we find him following Jesus. Wow. I mean, it hadn't been any time till he, he was inhaling threats and exhaling murder. Now he's going to follow Jesus. Verse 5 is most revealing as it relates to the man Saul who is about to become somebody else. And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. You know the first thing that came out of Saul's mouth was a word of submission. Who are you, Lord? Before, he wasn't submissive to anybody except the high priest. I mean, he was king of the hill. He was the one doing the the threatening. He was the one that was breathing out threatenings. He knew that he had encountered someone greater than himself. And Jesus immediately identifies himself and he gives Saul some marching orders and Saul marches. Rise and enter the city and you'll be told what uh, what you're to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless hearing the voice but seeing no one. From the very beginning, those who traveled with Saul realized that something had just changed. They didn't know what it was, but they knew that something had just changed. They they heard the voice, but they didn't see the person of Jesus. Saul saw the person of Jesus. At least that's what he said to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 15, 8. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So now we have seen Paul, the persecutor of the way, who has now been confronted with the truth, and he takes his first steps in the new life. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 8, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. After a time of great persecution against the church, Saul now begins a new life, a life of the believer, a life of one who will walk in the way. And his first step was a step of surrender. It was a step of yieldedness. He finds himself in a new state of life. He was about to get a a new look on all of life. Only minutes earlier, he was on a mission to destroy believers. But now, all of that has changed. As if to remind him of the value of his new life, God gave him the experience of having to surrender himself to those around him. 
Those early days of surrender would lead to what would be, I believe, the most noted life of surrender in the New Testament, especially among the early church. He would go on to write these words to express his new life, this life that he found that day when he was uh, knocked to the ground and saw the light and his first words were, what am I to do, Lord? He later wrote these words, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Can you imagine the guy in the black outfit with the black hood on with the guy in the orange jumpsuit and him with the knife in his left hand. Can you imagine him having such a radical change in his life that later he would say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You say, I can't imagine that. Those guys are so evil and so wicked, and they are. But I'm here to tell you that the power of God changed a life like that one day. His name was Saul. He couldn't breathe without threatening people. He couldn't breathe without murdering people. But God changed his life. He had a step of surrender, and he began to step in his faith. Those who he had led before are now leading him, and they're leading him to Damascus. They took him by the hand, demonstrating what would become for him a lifetime of being, of walking by faith, being led by the hand of God. And each step that he took while being led by these who had only minutes earlier he had led, these steps were reminding him that I'm going to be on a new path now. This is the beginning of a life of surrender that Paul would speak so much about as he wrote to the early church. You wonder why he wrote to the early church? You wonder why he said those things that he said? Sometimes when we read the words of of Paul, we think to ourselves, oh, what a wonderful guy that he was so in tune with God and that, that he had such a magnificent testimony and such a magnificent life, and he did. But you've got to understand that the guy that inhaled threats and exhaled murder and sought out people of the way that he might cast them in prison and see them stoned. That guy wrote this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's who wrote that. The guy standing in black with the knife in the hood. A guy like that wrote those words when he had a life-changing experience. (laughs) Wow. Is this your life or mine, the Galatian 2.20 life? Has it ever been? Saul would learn very early in his life that the rest of his steps would be steps of faith. He walked by faith. I called a friend of mine on the way to church today who's just had a truck drive through his life. Wonderful Christian friend, wonderful pastor. I said, buddy, how are you doing? He said, man, I'm in a fog. I'm just in a fog. I said, you know, I... I understand that. And 
when we're in a fog is when we really, really are walking by faith. Saul realized that the rest of his life would be a walk in faith and it would be steps of patience. For three days, Saul was without sight. He didn't eat or drink anything at this time. I suspect that he was learning the first steps of waiting on the Lord, something that he would do for the rest of his days to wait on the Lord. Now, it's time for me to ask you to think about your life and your walk. There is no requirement for a light to shine from heaven to knock you to the ground, but each and every one of us must have an encounter with God through Jesus Christ. There must be a time when we realize that we, like Saul and any others, are sinners before God and in need of a Savior. Have you encountered Jesus Christ in your life? That's a really good question. Well, I've always been a Christian. That's really not the answer. Well, I grew up in church. That's not the answer either. I've been baptized, and that's not the answer. I try to be a good person certainly is not the answer. There must be a time when we realize that we are sinners before God and in need of a Savior. When did you encounter Christ in your life? When did you come to the place of seeing yourself as a sinner before God and knowing that Jesus was your only hope for eternity? When was that? Jesus tells all of us that there must be a a time in our lives when we encounter Christ and we become believers. That's what he said when he said, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. That's a time, that's an encounter. For me, I was an eight-year-old boy. You mean children can have that encounter? Oh, I did as an eight-year-old boy. Well, surely you've needed to get saved again after that and be born again again after that. Well, no, no. No, once I was born again, I stayed born again. Well, haven't you messed up your life and sinned and and haven't you displeased God? Well, absolutely. But once I was born again, I was born again. I was born on March the 6th, 1950. I want to tell you something. During the life and course of my life, I have gotten dirty and stinky and smelly many, many times. But there was never a time that I was so dirty and stinky and smelly that I had to go back and be reborn in my mother's belly. I just got cleaned up and kept on living. I was born again when I was eight years old. There have been times that I've sinned. There have been times that I've disappointed God. There have been times that I've displeased God. But there's never been a time that I had to go back and get born again, again. I was eight years old. For my wife, it was the Sunday before Easter, 1973. April the 15th, actually. It's easy for us to remember that. My question is you. What about you? 
When was your day of salvation? When was the time in your life when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you came to know the Lord and walk in the way? You say, Pastor Ray, I'm not sure that's ever really been a time in my life. I have wonderful news for you. Just as it was an experience for Saul to respond and say, what would you have me to do, Lord? Today, you can have the same experience right here, right now. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads in prayer. Today, with heads bowed and no one looking about, I'm going to ask you to think about this opportunity that we're talking about today. Do you know for sure that Jesus Christ is your personal Savior and Lord? So, well, Pastor Ray, that's, that's a big question. It is a really big, big question. The thing that's so fantastic about it is that God loves you so much that He gave His only begotten Son that if you would believe on Him, you would never perish but have You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. You can visit us at North Florida Baptist Church, 3000 North Meridian Road, Tallahassee, Florida, 32312. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.